Welcome to winter. Welcome to KOW's Year in Review. I'm Bill Radke. Every December we get together and figure out what happened this year and what it means. Last year we were inside a computer. This year we're back live from Town Hall, Seattle. Okay, listeners and YouTubers, next year in person, we'll all be here. Right now, we're here with a stellar panel of local journalists, KUOW's new midday host, Libby Denkman. <laughs> Journalist for the South Seattle Emerald and host of Clapback Culture on Converge Media, Mike Davis. <laughs> and Crosscut Science and Environment reporter, Hannah Weinberger. Hi, everybody. Thanks for being the show this year. Hey, Bill. Good to be here. Great to see you in person. 2021 began with vaccines. They showed up right at the end of December, Hannah. They were only for first responders and people at high risk, but it got weird and it got tricky. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, but by that point in time, I had so much decision fatigue. I was done being, you know, an armchair epidemiologist, professional mm. hermit, risk assessor. And I was so ready for that phase system. Like, finally, we had a plan. Someone was telling me, this is what you're going to do. You're phase one, section two, veranda five, paragraph 12. Yes. I don't know. But like, I knew what was expected of me. And then all of a sudden, at the end of January, some vaccine freezers broke and all of a sudden all hell broke loose mm -hmm. and everything I thought I knew that would be in the future went out the window. Um, people are busy texting each other in the middle of the night. Nurses and doctors are you know, activating to vaccinate hundreds of people so these vaccine vials don't go to waste. And I remember just feeling how clarifying it was to feel where people were in their sense of community responsibility. Because up until that point, you know, we'd all been in this together, everybody was protecting each other and themselves, like there's nothing to do. And so I was starting to feel like, well, it would be strange for me to go get one of these vaccines in the middle of the night because mm. there are people who are more vulnerable than me. There are people who don't have access to this information. And if I were to get immunized, like what, what would I do? Like sit on my couch safely? <laughs> right. So I, when I was done being mad, the thing that I came away with from that experience was that it really helped me kind of embrace the complexity of the situation that we're in. A lot of people looked at getting a vaccine out of phase as an opportunity to eliminate waste. You know, yep. if somebody doesn't get this vaccine because they're vulnerable but can't get there, like, what good is it? If your principle is, like, you want to stay in line, maybe that's a bad principle, which was hard for me to reconcile with. Yeah, and but, the more people yeah. vaxxed up, the better. The more exactly. shots in arms, exactly. I'm helping out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But should I go, maybe I should wake an elderly neighbor instead and get them to the, to the freezer yeah, meltdown. Yeah, piggyback, right. whatever it takes. I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, any, anybody else remember dealing with that, that, that early phase, 2021? Yeah, absolutely. And at that point, we thought we were going to have shot girl summer. We thought that uh. we were going to have this Elysium of everyone's vaccinated and we can just go wild. And cool, but can I ask you to explain <laughs> hot slash shot girl summer oh, for those who are sure. not up on the... So uh, <laughs> as much as I can explain internet memes, which yeah. just the depths of that history are probably lost in the mist of time. 
But, you know, Hot Girl Summer was supposed to be like a, you know, fun, was that 2019, uh, just go wild, have a good time kind of summer. Then it became Shot Girl Summer when the vaccines were promised and we were in the springtime looking forward to this time we could really let loose. And I mean, we really, I think we needed that hope. You know, I have felt recently like, what is the next thing that's going to get us through all of these measures? And Shot Girl Summer was never a good epidemiological strategy. <laughs> uh -huh. Like, let's be clear about that. I'm no expert, but that was never a great idea. That wasn't going to end the pandemic. No. Mike, early 2021 pandemic memories? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hannah, you're such, you're a way better person than me. <laughs> I'm, I, was, I was going through my phone because if you knew somebody that knew somebody, you could get that early dose. And I'm like, oh, that's going to get me back in the streets. So let me go ahead and, yeah, so... I yeah. got my early. That's Lurking early. around the pharmacies. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Had to do it. You had to do it. I thought my first shot was going to make me like a superhero. Like, I remember walking out like, yes. But then, you know, everything was still shut down. So it was like, no. Yeah. But, uh, I'm a superhero <laughs> where? Yeah. So I do remember that. And I was happy to get it. Um, I have an eight-year-old. She got vaccinated for the promise of seeing the Spider-Man movie. So, you know, uh -huh. that worked out good for uh -huh. us. We're going tomorrow. That's so yeah. Mike, what was that conversation between you and your daughter around getting the shot? Well, you know, she's Besides uh, Spider-Man. Well, she's afraid of shots. That's the thing. Like she didn't really want the shot, but she's very aware of things that have happened in the world. This has been a big year of conversation, like conversations that may not have happened if it wasn't for quarantine and the whole world going crazy. So the funny thing is, you know, she got her shot at school. So, you know, you had a conversation and uh, everybody's calm and her mom took her and she was like, you know, they walked in the room and everything was going to be good. But apparently they put all the kids getting the shots in the same room. <laughs> One kid started crying. One kid cried. The whole room started crying. It was oh. tears everywhere. Some kids had to be escorted out by parents. Yes. It, just, it was a whole domino effect. But luckily, you know, she made it through the tears. She got that shot. And yeah. Wow. Good for her. That's great. <laughs> Two shots? One shot. One shot. One okay. Shot. I, what, about, what about the whole journey of Washington State? versus the rest of the country in how we approached it, you know, how we, I think the last I checked, we were down in the like fourth or fifth lowest uh, death rate, you know, by population. Um, what did you, what did you notice as, as all that played out so differently here from another corner of the country? Um, you know, I, I covered COVID for about a year and a half um, from early January and I think the fact that we had a little bit of a head start on the rest of the country and we could see what was coming, you know, we're a port city. We have a lot coming in and out here. And we also have some grade A medical facilities. So I mm -hmm. think people took it seriously. And we also had the advantage of um, people being kind of into the Seattle freeze, I think. We weren't interacting that much to begin with. I'm aggressively Midwestern, so that was always very difficult for me to comprehend. But people here really, towed the line, I think. A and lot of us didn't yeah. mind that much. <laughs> Most of my family goes to Evergreen Hospital for, you know, healthcare mm -hmm. needs. And 
I remember watching this from Los Angeles and just thinking, oh my gosh, I know my dad has had to go, you know, for different procedures and just wondering, you know, if everything was going to be okay. And there was like a deep fear there that my other, you know, acquaintances and, and social network in Los Angeles hadn't experienced yet. But it was definitely something that hit home much faster, I think, for the Pacific Northwest and the, you know, level of seriousness that people took it, you know, was, it was unfortunate that it hit here first, but it was encouraging to see people step up. Yeah. We had Inslee saying we were going to hit uh, 70% and then we was going to reopen the state and, and that happened in something like July, later than everybody thought. Uh, what are you thinking about for, for 2022 and, and the pandemic? I don't know about you guys, but I feel like the more that we think about Washington as a state, the more we set ourselves up for ultimately being a little bummed because this is a global issue. And Omicron really stems from that. You know, not everyone in the world has access to these life-saving vaccines because of supply issues or because of, you know, political engagement. And if not everyone has access to the vaccine, there's going to be mutations. And in countries that have access to the vaccine and not everyone's taking advantage of that, then it just helps it hit home. And Washington State isn't isolated. You know, we have... SeaTac, we have the port, we have people who can cross borders. So until we start to look at this as not a Washington issue, unless we want to shut the borders down again, I think we're, we're going to be set up for being a little bit um, disappointed. Can I ask a less serious question about yeah, this? Yeah. Why can't we get decently laminated vaccine cards? <laughs> because this dang scrap of paper, I had no idea. It was just handed over to me with no ceremony. And it's like a pen, you know, signing. In the rain. Yeah, basically. And, you know, my Costco card looks more official than this. Yeah. Like, why is this the thing I have to have everywhere? And I know I, lamination is just, that would just help so much. I don't even have one. I was what? so excited when I got my first Wait, shot. What? I didn't even take it with me. Like, what? I literally, like, I left and I was, like, in the car driving and I'm on the phone. And I'm like, yeah, I got it. I'm, oh. Oh, oh, I didn't even have it. Um, I went back, I got those two. Uh, I don't know where that is. Luckily, there's a website. So yes. I got in here, you know, I got my QR code. Yes. Good. I have no vaccine card. Like, I mean, it was bigger than the wallet size. Where are you supposed to keep it? It's awkward. It's so awkward. It's awkward. What kind of product yeah. development is that? It's a postcard. I don't want a postcard. <laughs> you know, one of the, uh, on the topic of, of, you know, there were, there were struggles. There were, there were moments of hope. There were silver linings. There was, you know, uptake in, in especially King County. Um, one of the great things about 2021 is that we made enough progress on COVID-19 to reopen restaurants and bars and theaters. I mean, by the time the holidays were nearing, it was like olden days, like, like happy golden days of yore. Faithful friends who are dear to us could finally gather near to us once more.
From the Skylark in West Seattle, will you please welcome Betty Wetter to the stage? Ow! One. Yes. Mwah. One of Seattle's favorite drag performers. I'm just going to say Seattle's favorite drag the performer. Favorite. Is that okay? The only one. The, the only one. <laughs> Hi, everybody. It's so good to be in a room with you all. Wow. Betty, I watched the whole song. That video over and over is just what I needed. Thank you. Welcome. You have to come see me sometime. Yeah. yeah. Will, you, uh, will you tell us about yourself and your show? Well, my name is Betty Wetter. As you heard, uh, I am not originally from Seattle. I'm from a farm town in North Carolina. And I moved here. I started doing drag in Seattle about six years ago. And this city has taken me under its wing and showed me so much love. I, pre-pandemic, hosted three to five nights a week bingo quiz shows, drag shows, name that tune, all sorts of stuff. Uh, it's my full-time job to look this good. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what has the pandemic year been like for you? Well, the first few weeks was literally just me laying in bed because I couldn't perform. It was my entire life. It was completely taken away, and I didn't know what to do at first, but we have the internet, thank goodness, thank goodness this did not happen in the early 90s, you know. We, we, I quickly pivoted to hosting drag shows, making music videos and putting those on the internet. Uh, I hosted my trivia show on Zoom uh, once or twice a month and things like that. And surprisingly, we would still have upwards of 100, 150 people coming to virtual shows. It was really, really, it was nice. It was tough, but it was nice. Yeah. In fact, Betty, we've got a clip of you talking to your virtual family, your, your Zoom community. It feels like your family. This is you reminding uh, your, your community that there are people around them going through a lot. And they need this teeny tiny little moment of kindness from you. Uh, that could be a brief smile on the sidewalk. That could be a moment of patience. You are not going to receive a reward. No balloons are dropping down and nobody's gonna high five you or say thank you. It's just what you should do because you're the people who came out to hang out with me tonight. That, thank you, wow, I'm glad I didn't know that. That's actually my, uh, ooh, that got me a little, that yeah. was my sign off. Uh, I've been hosting uh, trivia in Lower Queen Anne for about four years now, and uh, that's been my sign-off every week because I do sincerely believe that the tiniest moment of you just being a nice person can really change somebody's life. That actually started because of a random smile on the sidewalk, and that lifted me in one of the just worst days that I was having that week. I decided to tell everybody and to say it week after week after week. I have people who come to that show who say it with me at the end of the show now because, I mean, people really do deserve your kindness, really and truly. I got a million questions, but uh, <laughs> I want to share the, share the microphones. Yeah, I have a question uh, for Betty. I am a big drag fan. I became a fan through RuPaul's Drag Race, which I think a lot of people came on because of that. Although I know that you know there are 
Um, some people who say it's it's sort of like a narrower slice of drag because what you see is maybe like one type of more feminine drag and there's like a broader spectrum. Um, I'm curious how you would hope that Seattleites would get introduced to uh, the medium and the if you could describe kind of the range of drag that's available in Seattle. I think if you're scared of it, watch that show. You're not going to get the broad lens of what's going on. You're, you're going to get some of the best of the best. Actually, one of my very best friends is on the upcoming season, and I think she's one of the best. I think you're really, it's like the NFL of drag, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hear we do better than the Seahawks, but we won't, <laughs> we won't get into that. But uh, I, I think that's a really good start. That's a great primer. I think it's so entertaining, so very silly. And if you go into the old days of the show, 2009 when it first started, you get to see a lot of the basics of what we do. And then come see a show out in Seattle, and particularly in this city, we have got the weirdest weirdos, the most <laughs> glamorous glam queens. We've got everything across the board, and we all come together because we just want to entertain. That's what, that's what we're here for. It's just a moment of entertaining. It's a moment for us to express ourselves. Uh, and it's quite powerful, quite beautiful. But I, I think that Drag Race is a pretty good place to start. Yeah, you won't see me on it though. I I want to be like 80 years old and like still doing drag on Capitol Hill. Like, yeah, I really do. Yeah. Golden Girls drag. What's that? Golden Girls Golden drag. Golden Girls drag. Yay. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Just caftans. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. You know, speaking of of Capitol Hill, mm -hmm. you're not from here originally. How does Seattle's drag community? compare to elsewhere where you've, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I always tell people, if you had asked me the day before I started doing drag, are you ever gonna do drag? I would say not in a million years. It wasn't even on my mind because where I grew up, it was very big hair and large curvy body and what, well, 10,000 sequins, I guess. Uh, and very pageant drag, which is something that you hear brought up in the community. And it wasn't something that I was truly interested in. I was more interested in being a, a Carol Burnett or a Gilda Radner and uh, entertaining in that way. And I just didn't see that until I got here. Uh, we, When I say we have a wide spectrum of drag, it's, it's really not a joke. It, it, you can get a little bit of everything that often is just sort of mildly represented in other places. Well, I hope that whatever this is rubs off on me. <laughs> <laughs> you can borrow it. Oh my God, don't talk to me. <laughs> Betty Wetter, welcome back to the stage. Welcome back to the in-person love. And thank it's you so, so much for thank being you. part of our show. Thank you very much. Thank you all for having me tonight. I just You're on it. your way. You're working. You've got another I show. I gotta get a car. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Betty Wetter, ladies and gentlemen. I highly recommend the Instagram feed. And we are gonna be right back with more of KUOW's Year in Review, live at Town Hall Seattle. Don't go away. Welcome back to KUOW's Year in Review, live from Town Hall, Seattle. 
I'm your host, Bill Radke, and I'm here with our amazing panel of journalists from the South Seattle Emerald and the host of Clapback Culture on Converge Media. Mike Davis is with us. We've got cross-cut science and environment reporter Hannah Weinberger. And we're welcoming KUOW's newest midday host, Libby Dankman. And we're reviewing 2021, which was a year of what we now call extreme weather. I'm just afraid it's going to seem less and less extreme. Science and environment reporter Hannah Weinberger, is this climate or weather? Ooh, they are interrelated, but when you have enough weather like this, it's usually a sign of climate change. And when we talk about climate change, historically, we always talk about like, oh, we've got X years before X happens. Like we can put that off, right? It's a slow moving problem. But if this past summer taught us anything, uh, and honestly this fall, it is here in a way where maybe we still have time to head off the worst effects, but there's some pretty bad effects that are already happening. Um, I think about the heat wave a lot, where climate change being here was really driven home to me when on the hottest day, I was in Woodenville at a Wilderness First Responder recertification class where my classmates and I were learning how to, you know, God forbid we ever needed to use it, learn how to prevent or treat heat stroke or heat stress. And I was looking around like, I'm gonna, I need to know this because I'm gonna be using this on my classmates in 10 minutes. <laughs> like, yeah. um, it is a problem where when we talk about preparedness, we should, I think, be talking about acceptance. Um, we've had a lot of time to prepare. And if what we are learning from the most recent research is true, events like that are gonna be happening probably every five to 10 years. And not only will those extreme days be more likely, but there's just gonna be like a general vibe of hotter. And when we experience more hotter days in succession, that's harder to recover from. Mike Davis, uh, smoke filter, air purifier, air conditioner, is your life changing? Uh, well, first of all, there were no more air conditioners oh, when man. that heat wave hit. It was like everybody went and bought all of them at the same time. Mm. That, that was climate change like in our faces. Like we read about it, we talk about it, but when it was too hot to function, like that was, that was so real. Oh, so real was tough. But yeah, Seattle of major metro areas has the lowest per capita air conditioning access. And combined with our large unhoused population and the fact that we have rising nighttime temperatures, so there's never any time to recover from really hot daytime temperatures, Seattle really needs to think, and I think you know Puget Sound more broadly, about the fact that maybe our identity as a temperate climate isn't something we can afford to you know, rest our laurels on. Like Seattle and a lot of other cities in Washington state didn't have an explicit heat stress you know, emergency action plan that they followed. They kind of adapted an overall emergency action plan. Um, so I think if anything, this hopefully will have been an indicator that we need to be not only prepared to act on that one day thing, but maybe think about changing our lifestyles year round. Hey, yeah. put, it, put it in the notes, Bill. We're gonna ask Bruce Harrell if he can uh, get ACs for all of us. Absolutely. Okay, I'm writing that down, yeah. Mayor Harrell. <laughs> Hook us up. Okay. Well, my, my phone says it could be a white Christmas, so I'm looking forward to that nine feet of snow that, uh, that might be the next thing. If this weather has you asking, how does Russell Wilson throw in the snow? How does Megan Rapino pass in the smoke? 
You just may be a sports fan, and so is our next guest. Let us talk 2021 in sports. Michael Sean Dugar, will you join us, please? Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, staff writer for The Athletic, covering the Seahawks, particularly Michael Sean Dugar, and it's been a treat to have you, you on the show this year, and great to see you in person, Michael Sean. What up? How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. Um, a certain Seattle sports club looked awful this season. Most people counted them out, but then signs of life, a winning streak. Could it be possible? Do you believe? I'm talking about, of course, the Seattle Seahawks and earlier this year, the Mariners. Michael Sean, did you believe? I tried to, and I, <laughs> I think that's like the most important thing that I, I, I could do. I'm in like this weird space because like I'm not, I'm a sports writer, so I'm supposed to know sports. A lot of my fan, uh, friends are diehard Mariners fans. I actually have the Mariners like nautical star tattooed over my chest. So Whoa. Yeah, I'm, but I'm not like super, I don't really like baseball. I just feel like baseball doesn't like me either. You know, it just doesn't, you know, the way they love, let people dress or celebrate, just not like for me, I'm more of a basketball guy. But I do love the Mariners. And I really feel for my friends who are Mariners fans because it's such a toxic relationship with the franchise like there's very few things you can love in your life that don't return the love than the mariners over like the la and i'm 29 so a lot of my friends are like grew up right when they got hot in the late 90s early 2000s and then since then it's just been just all of the bad things about a relationship you know sleep sleeping the other way you know no text back no communication leaving the toilet seat up it's just the mariners do all the bad things and every year you're like just love us again and every every march when pit or pitchers and catchers report it's like yeah no i love you again and it just hurts i'm getting a lot of head nodding on my panel right now yeah. Yeah, where's the relationship counselor for sports fans <laughs> Yeah. If you have a short attention span, baseball is fantastic for you. Like, I, I don't have to pay attention for longer than 30 seconds at a crack, and then I can go do something else. So, I don't know. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> while appearing on KUOW's Week in Review, journalist Mike Davis instructed Mariners fans not to believe, if you'll remember, oh. Mike. And that's when it fell apart. Listen, not since 2001. That, that's the last time they got me. They'll never get me again. <laughs> never, <laughs> never again. That's never. healthy, though. That's called... You need reciprocation if you're gonna, you know, you're gonna be in a relationship. Mike got in there early. That was two decades ago. That's know your smart. worth. I got close though. I got. Cl I interviewed J.P. Crawford, and he told this heartwarming story about his dogs and his dogs have a family that his in-laws adopted. I'm like, oh man, and they're all huskies. And I'm like, oh, that's so beautiful. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not coming back. I can't do it. I just can't. <laughs> Michael Sean Dugard, do you believe in the Seahawks now? I try to believe in the Seahawks too. Like I'm a trier, as you can, as you can. You're see a trier. Yeah, I, I, I try. Um, you know, the Seahawks are just sports is just so. Um, it's like a microcosm of society. Everything's relationship based. Like even how I just talked about the Mariners, it's like relationship, and football is too. Like you gotta really love a guy to go out there and just ram your head into another guy so that for three hours every week so that you guys can accomplish some goal that like kind of doesn't really exist. Like what is a win, right? Nothing. <laughs> like you're getting paid, obviously, but like the Super Bowl is just like a metal piece of something. You know, you get a ring, but it's not, you know, you can't like sell it or anything. It just sits in a case. You, nobody wears their Super Bowl ring. Mm. So it's just this like creation of like success. And to get there, you just have to smash your body into another guy's body every week. Uh, for the guy next to you, and it's like that's a strong relationship. So I try to believe in this particular team because like they believe in each other, and it doesn't make any sense you know, to do to do that. <laughs> I love <laughs> Oh, 
towards that, Mike? I, I don't think I love anything that much. You know? <laughs> that's, that's love right there. I, go to, I see football practices every day. I was just at football practice today, and the, what those guys have to do and how they feel on, like, a Monday morning after a game. You know, like, imagine how, like, hungover a fan might feel after a Sunday night watching a Seahawks game. It was stressful. And you wake up, you got, like, a headache. And then the guys who are in the game, they got, like, a headache and then a backache, and they need, like, a needle in their foot to get out of bed, and their wife helps them to the bathroom at 6 a.m., and then they do it all again. <laughs> That's crazy. My top sports story of the year was the Cougar football head coach. Uh, oh, my God. That was just weird. He, yeah. what, he wouldn't answer the question. Would you relate that? What did you think? Yeah, it was. Uh, so I'm a Wazoo grad, um, and I was, I was there. It's okay if there's any Husky grads here. Everyone makes mistakes. It's okay. Uh, uh, How dare you, it, sir? It's... And so I was there with, you know, when we had Mike Leach, who was like this like super right wing, he like tweeted a doctored video of Obama one time. He was a, I was, a, I was in Pullman when he was like a guest speaker at a Trump rally in Spokane, I think in 2015 or 16. There was a Trump wall erected on campus at Wazoo in 2016. So when we got rid of him, I was like, cool. Yeah, and then we get this new guy who like follows all these. How do you say? Is it QAnon? Yeah, QAnon. QAnon. He follows all those QAnon accounts on his Twitter, and then he just doesn't want to get the vaccine. Doesn't want to talk about why. It was a very weird space. And uh, as someone in sports, you know, it's our job to ask guys, our coaches, or players, "Did you get the vaccine? Yeah. Oh, why not?" It becomes this whole thing. And then you, the more I've done it with athletes, coaches, even with some of the homies you realize that the people who don't get it and don't want to explain why realize how dumb it is. They don't say it. That's why it becomes, oh, it's a personal choice because they realize the longer you talk, the more you sound like Kyrie Irving or something like that. Yeah. You know, you just you subscribe to this like a church of nonsense the longer you speak. And Nick Rolovich not only was willing to subscribe to the church of nonsense, he was willing to lose a job that paid him $3 million a year yeah. over that. You know, he's suing to get the money back. He won't. Uh, you know, it, think about that. You, you can inject me with a lot of stuff for $3 million a year. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Uh, Mike, well, I got, we got to mention the Kraken, that 2021 in sports. Uh, and Mike, you were telling me that you went to Climate Pledge Arena this week. I did. I did. I did. It was great. If you can imagine if Amazon Fresh was an arena. Uh, that's what it was. That's literally what it was. It was amazing. It was some of the coolest things that I've ever seen. Uh, imagine going to a stadium and not having to wait in line for a beer. You have an Amazon Prime account. You just walk in, grab it, walk out. On the flip side, there's cameras everywhere. So imagine being watched as you're watching. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. They're watching you, but it's super cool. I mean, all the food, it's like marketplace style. So you just walk in. If you don't have Amazon Prime, you're like one of those three or four people. You could load up your credit card and, yeah, you just... There's no cashiers. You just walk in, walk out. Um, they got a, a full music studio there. I don't know why that's necessary, but it's cool to have. It was cool to see. So, uh, yeah, it was cool. And my favorite part was that they have a locker room already set up for the Sonics. So if we get the Sonics For the back, Sonics. It's there. They're ready. The city's ready. So, yeah. The nest is feathered. The way has been made. Yes. Sonics, come on in. Be still my heart. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Sean Dugar uh, writes for The Athletic, covers the Seahawks, and, and, and knows a lot more. And it's just been a joy talking to you again this year and having you back up on stage with us at the Year in Review. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks Thank for coming. You.
You're listening to KUAW's Year in Review, and we're going to be right back here at Town Hall Seattle. Welcome back to the Year in Review on KUAW. We're live from a place called Town Hall, Seattle. Up on stage with me, Hannah Weinberger covers science and the environment at Crosscut. Mike Davis is a co-host of Clapback Culture on Converge Media and a journalist at Seattle, South Seattle Emerald. Oh, you're going to be hearing much more of Libby Dankman, KUOW's newest midday host. And I'm Bill Radke. We're so glad to have you. We're reviewing the year gone by as we do in December. And of course, the year in politics began with a little riot at the U.S. Capitol building, and it reverberated all the way to Olympia and our state capitol. We all watched the first part of that, the Capitol insurrection. And Mike, we were talking before the show, you've got strong memories of that yourself. Yeah, um, I had to have that conversation with my daughter. I think that was uh, what I took away from that experience, especially coming on the heels of 2020 with the protests, you know, because we had conversations about race, of course, but those conversations shifted when she was in the streets marching for black lives. And then when the insurrection happened, she's at home, she's seeing it on TV, she was wondering when the police were gonna come hurt those people. And of course it never happened, which is a thing, but um, that was a really tough conversation to have on why the protesters marching for black lives were met with violence from the police and those insurrectionists found open doors from the police. <laughs> And you wrote about it very well in the South Seattle Emerald. Um, does the governor's mansion breach feel like a blip in history to my panel, or do you see signs that 2022 is going to be a ramp up of political anger and revolt? I know there's no saying, but what's, what feeling do you have as journalists and just people and watchers? I mean, it's all reverberating and just becoming more powerful on you know social media platforms and different online uh, places where, where people converge and share misinformation and uh, the uh, statements by the former president about a stolen election, the lies, frankly, uh, about uh, election uh, you know, irregularities, everything has just heightened in the following days. And you see uh, that a number of politicians who initially were denouncing what had happened have now realized that that's not okay um, if they want to remain in the good graces of the former president. And that's important for, you know, elections going forward. I mean, we see in the third and fourth congressional districts in Washington state, you have Dan Newhouse and Jamie Herrera Butler. They're going to be in the fights for their lives, you know, to, to retain their seats in Congress um, against uh, folks who are running to their right because of their vote to impeach the president following January 6th. Um, and so I think that it's only going to be more intense. You see across the country that uh, election administrators have been replaced by, um, you know, people who are much more political, much more, uh, you know, with an agenda to go into office in order to 
um, make uh, a difference if there is another election where um, you know the president starts to to claim that there were irregularities again. So I I just think that it's going to be just as bad or worse going forward, unfortunately. Well, locally, in yeah, well. Sorry, guys. Sorry for the bummer. Such a downer. Such a downer. I really we brought it down. <laughs> in, in Seattle, voters generally rejected the most progressive candidates. We even elected a Republican as city attorney. Here she is, Ann Davison, saying Seattle's Democratic-dominated leadership has for years been promising to help Seattleites who are most at risk, and the situation keeps getting worse. We have people at more risk, right? They are living in these unsanitary, no hygiene access, um, inhumane, not compassionate conditions. And when I started to come to real, the realization that back in that UN refugee camp that I'd worked in, those conditions there were more sanitary, hygienic, and humane uh, than we were allowing people to just subsist along the roadways of Seattle. I started to realize that the Democrat party that I knew had started to move so far left uh, that I didn't recognize it anymore. So while Davison was criticizing Seattle Democrats from the so-called right, socialist alternative city councilor Shama Sawant was criticizing Democrats from the so-called left. The blowout in Gonzalez's election was because she never brought up any fighting demands. She campaigned on the defensive throughout, unwilling to point out that her opponent, Bruce Harrell, was a favored candidate of big business. And that's because she herself does not want to antagonize big business. So that's Sawan's take. We're going to talk to the incoming mayor in just moments and get his take. Uh, Mike, I wanted to ask you, you've, you've been covering politics. Which is it? Are Seattle Democrats too lefty for voters, too righty for voters? Or just right? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a mixture. Uh, Davidson's clip there was though, it was laughable. Democrats that she knows, that's funny to me. But I think that, <clears throat> I mean, this is a very disingenuous thing for her to say, especially when she criticizes what the city looks like and her idea was to put homeless people in a warehouse. So how humane would that be? Also, you know, she wants to convict petty crimes, so let's look at the jails. How humane are the jails? It's funny how Republicans pick and choose when humanity matters and when it doesn't. But I think with... I think Sawant hit the nail on the head, and I think that she's been fighting a battle with city council members who claim to be Democrats and claim to be left who always end up siding with big business. And I think she's right. I think Gonzalez did not want to take those shots at big business. And if you watched the debates, I mean, she was very on the defensive. She never really gave a plan that was like a plan of her own. It just, it sounded like Durkin just standing there talking and it, it was just nothing was new and nothing was fresh. You know, might have a lot to say about this. The incoming mayor of Seattle, Mayor Bruce Harrell. Will you please join us? The once and future mayor, Mayor Harrell, thank you for being part of our show. Great to have you here on the year in review and uh, I know, you're, you're coming in hot. What's the weight capacity on this chair, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> I think you're good. It's like a trust fall. Just lean back. 
<laughs> well, everybody's yeah. talking about you, Mayor. What would, uh, I got questions, but first, any reaction you want to give to Mike or to Shama Sawat or to the voters of Seattle? What do you want to say? Well, thank you, I think. <laughs> uh, what I have to say is, uh, you know, these conversations about big business and Passionate, uh, you know. I've been in. I, I think many of you know. I was just born literally about six blocks from here, and I've seen uh, great compassion in this city. And with my personal story, that seemed to resonate with the voters. That I don't bash anybody. That I'm glad there are big businesses here, small businesses here, sole, solely owned businesses. I'm glad that people can have a job. Not all of them are making exorbitant salaries. Some of them are. Uh, receptionists and sec security guards. I want everyone to prosper. And quite candidly, you have elected a mayor who will not bow down to anyone. You, you can out yell me. Uh, you can argue to the top of your lungs, and I will still love you, and I'll listen to you. Uh, but I love this city so much that I will make sure that my heart leads all of our policies. And I think that's what brings our city together. I think that's why I did well. So uh, whether it's Shama's rhetoric or uh, Ann Dav Davison's rhetoric, uh, I, I'm just trying to find good solutions for us. Uh, let, just take the example of letting people sleep in parks and green belts. If there's not enough shelter or housing that they can afford, where do they go? How is that, how is, how is that going to be compassionate in, in action? First of all, we are not a broke city. Unfortunately, we're, per capita, we're one of the richest cities, the second richest city in the country. And we have more resources than you could shake a stick at. And they're going to come. I met two days with um, Secretary Buttigieg. I met with Marsha Fudge from Housing, Buttigieg on the transportation front. Had a one-on-one -on -one with President Biden. Had a one-on-one -on -one with uh, uh, Kamala Harris. Um, there's resources coming our way. We finally have quality in the White House. So what it looks like is I will raise us the money, whether it's taxation or philanthropic means, I will find us the, 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 the revenue, the resources. I don't make excuses. It's here in this city. We should not have these contradictions that the youth are angry about. They see the richest people in the world here, who, who on God's green earth needs $186 billion, right? They see it here, and they want to see people in homes. So you're going to see production of housing. You're going to see thousands of units. You're going to see, and we will put the cameras on, folks, so people say we will not <clears throat> criminalize poverty. We don't operate that way. Services, treatment, um, we're seeing an underinvestment right now in special education and drug and alcohol problems and mental illness, this is the result of failed investments. So I gotta reinvest, and so that's what it's gonna look like with a sense of passion and urgency. Mayor, I know that, that Libby's gonna get a chance to interview you soon on KUOW. I'm afraid of and, Libby. And, <laughs> and, we, and we've kept you waiting without dinner, and I'm told we're over time. I got a couple more questions, but I wanna, I wanna see if, uh, if anyone else does. I do, I do. I always gotta bring it back to South Seattle, and um, <clears throat> you know, we had the situation this year, unfortunately, where someone did shoot a gun at the CD Panthers football game. We had the community call to action. You were one of few folks that actually showed up for the community, so that's very much appreciated. But I just want to ask, I mean, 
what is the plan or are we going to have resources? Is there going to be community police officers? I mean, what are we going to do to curb gun violence in South Seattle? Yeah. Thank you, Mike. So, so first, I want you to think of the fire department and the police department. And I want you to think of a new paradigm, a third department. And I'm not talking about sticking parking enforcement officers in the Seattle Department of Transportation. I'm talking about a third public safety department. Uh, officers that are culturally competent, that are trained at colleges on how to de-escalate. They do not have tools or weapons uh, that can kill someone, but they are very good at de-escalation and they are culturally competent. Picture that with its own chief, if you will. And I start carving out those areas where a gun and badge is used for a traffic stop, for example. I'm not convinced that if you're going 40 in a 30 that I need an armed person to cite you a ticket. So now let's reimagine a police where I'm stripping a lot of those responsibilities into this public safety officer. And by the way, maybe they'll give you more warnings and actual tickets if you're going a little fast. And maybe they'll joke and smile with you and they will understand that most of us are just trying to do the right thing. And picture now everyone feeling safer because I'm taking these, I'm re, that's a reimagined police officer. As I mentioned in one of the debates about uh, a one curriculum, about how a person will see themselves in a the mirror and they will always act in alignment with what they believe about themselves. They believe that they are violent. They believe they are macho enough to, ex to, to, to exude violence, and that's what occurs. So now we're gonna talk about curriculums for the city of Seattle, making sure that we have mentors in communities. I need you to feel safe. This is an American issue, and I believe the answers are here in Seattle. Why? Because of you. Finally, we've had three one-term mayors in a row Last time you were mayor, you spent a week at it. How long are you gonna keep this job? <laughs> so, I have to prove to you I'm worthy of a second term. I have to prove to you. Uh, we won by one of, the, I think they said, the leader, one of the largest margins in uh, like 25 years or so. But okay, great, you know. It, 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 that, I'm not even impressed by that myself, quite candidly. I got to prove to you that we could speak truth to power and that I'm I'll be an authentic leader for that. And I'm convinced that a lot of the stuff that I'm going to do, quite frankly, won't be done in four years. It, it just won't be done in four years. And if, if, if I'm going to be brutally honest with you, I've prepared a lifetime to serve you. I could produce an art, article when I was 18 years old. I was accepted to Harvard and Yale and Stanford. and I. I said, I'm going to go to the University of Washington. And in the Seattle Times, he said, why? He says, because I'm going to be mayor of this city someday. But I've prepared a lifetime to serve you. And I'm not looking for higher office. I, I want to stay right here with you all. So if I prove that I'm worthy, I'll run for eight years. Heck yeah, why wouldn't I? I, got, I, could, I, could, I bet you I could do more push-ups than anyone right here. I'm still in pretty good shape. <laughs> I wake up early. I think a little Joe Biden rubbed off on you. I'm sort of getting <laughs> Joe Biden vibes. I got to tell you one about President Biden is very authentic. Yeah. I literally, we were expecting to get 10 minutes with him, 15 minutes with him. He gave us an hour, and I literally had a flight to, to and I have a picture in the Oval Office with him, one-on-one, -on -one, if you can imagine that. He was very gracious. Bruce Harrell, uh, once, once and future mayor, congratulations on your election victory. And uh, we are all wishing you and the city the best in your upcoming term. And so grateful that you came and you're part of our uh, KUOW year in review tonight. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. Thank you.
KUOW's year in review is coming to an end, and we're, we always end on what's making us smile. I want to share that uh, since I, I stopped hosting an interview show every day, I got to get out and do some feature stories. I mentioned the little girl I uh, met who conquered her fear of the vaccine needle. I decided which was better, commuting by car or train. Saw a guy get his brain scanned, so maybe someday we can wear an electronic headband that does what our brain does when we sleep. What about you all? What, what made you smile in 2021? What gave you hope? The youth. Honestly, the youth. I think that all of the time that they spent out of school was tough, of course, but it was a gateway to a lot of really powerful conversations and introspection into how they think and how they process these things. And the kids are brilliant, they're strong, and they're resilient, and that made me smile. Um, the kids may have made Mike smile, and hopefully this will too, because I have a five-year-old's sense of humor. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> something that really made me smile this year is nothing as impressive or inspirational as the kids, but um, you may remember uh, New Shepard and the Blue Origin space launch this summer, uh, which yeah, was supposed to, <laughs> wow. you know, be be a marker for what was to come for humanity. And I definitely had a cathartic moment watching what the rocket looked like because it was so <laughs> it was so perfect for how most people were feeling about this space flight at the time. So I appreciate the fact that we all have humor about uh, the disparity that we're seeing in the world where everything here is on fire, so we're focused on another place. How about you, Libby Denkman? Well, coming home and uh, starting a new radio show in the yeah, Pacific Northwest has made me smile. I'm very excited. Me too. And we get to announce tonight, for the first time, you are the very first folks to hear it outside of the walls of KUOW, uh, the name of the show, the details about the show. So, little uh, uh, announcement yeah, to come. Drum yeah, roll. drum roll. Uh, the show that's going to be debuting on January 10th at noon is called Soundside, and it is about the Pacific Northwest and the people who live here. We're about bringing you your neighbor's stories, helping you tell your own story, and we are so excited about coming back to the radio. So Soundside, January 10th, tune in. It's coming at noon, weekdays. And I do want to give a shout out to our amazing producers who have brought this all together. Uh, Sarah Leibovitz, who is in the house. Mm -hmm. Alec Cowan is also here. Ooh. Noel Gasca and Brandy Fullwood. And our boss, Brendan Sweeney. Thank you to everybody uh, who has stuck with us. And we're coming back to the radio. So, so glad to have you back. Welcome yeah. and happy 2022. And bringing us Soundside. Looking forward to it. Libby Denkman, ladies and gentlemen. And we always ask KOW listeners what's made you smile this year. So here is just a bit of what you told us. Hi, my name is Laura. I'm from Seattle. Hey, my name is Matt Nelson. I live in Kent, Washington. Hi, this is Taryn in Shoreline. And the best thing that's happened to me this year is that my dog was diagnosed with cancer last year. Uh, but as of next month, we will be celebrating one full year of him in full remission. After 20 years as an educator, support staff, I am now a classroom teacher, and I am just so happy by all my coworkers and teachers at my kids' schools that are giving their all this year. 
um, again and again, daily and hourly. And I'm just so proud of all of us. I think this year was really lovely to spend so much time with my teenagers. And I really enjoyed getting to know them as young people, just getting to know each other. And I have totally enjoyed my time with my kids. And now that they're back in school, I kind of miss them. Hi, this is Cynthia Ryan from Seattle, Washington. Uh, one moment of joy this year was being corrected by my three-year-old granddaughter. We were snuggled up together to read the Polar Express. I say that Chris Van Allsburg wrote the story and drew all these beautiful illustrations. Isn't he talented? I asked. She looks up at me with a loving but disapproving expression. Grandma, if you don't know someone's pronouns, you shouldn't say he. <laughs> this teachable moment from the other generation gives me joy and hope for a kinder world. Oh, hi, my name is Michelle. I'm an RN working in Seattle and uh, recover patients from anesthesia all day. And one thing that makes me smile is when a patient takes a moment to say, thank you for being here and getting the vaccine and taking care of us. Hi, I'm Paul Costello. I'm a family doctor and a hospice doctor, and I live in Seattle. Um, I am particularly happy about the fact that I got my first vaccine on December 20th of last year. Having vaccines, having treatments, uh, it, it really has made a huge difference. Thanks a lot. See you. Thank you, Bill. Have a great Christmas. Uh, happy 2022. Oh, happy 2022. Yay. Thank you. I love you, Seattle. Thank you to all of you for listening. You are always what makes me smile every single year. I want to thank you for listening and for sharing your time with our show. And on to 2022. Thank you for coming to Town Hall Seattle and see you again in the new year. That's the year in review. I want to thank my panelists. The host of KUOW's new midday show, Soundside, Libby Degman. Journalist for the South Seattle Emerald and host of Clapback Culture on Converge Media, Mike Davis. Crosscut science and environment reporter, Hannah Weinberger. And all of our special guests, staff writer for The Athletic, covering the Hawks, Michael Sean Dugar. <laughs> Seattle's mayor-elect, Bruce Harrell. <laughs> Drag performer extraordinaire, she's performing somewhere again right now, Betty Wetter. And thank you to the team that puts this show together. Our events manager, Charlotte Duran, creative manager, Tio Popescu, partner marketing manager, Bridget Anderson, marketing communications manager, Amelia Peacock, marketing audio video producer, Hans Twite, the producer of the record and sound side and of this program, Alec Cowan. And then will you please share my gratitude that I have for the person who truly uh, uh, we couldn't do the show without from the very conceiving of the show imagining it, booking it, shepherding it, the logistics of it. Thank you so much, Sarah Leibovitz, for everything. 
Happy holidays and happy new year.